I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, It's almost spooky times. It's so close to spooky times. A time close to our hearts. Yes. Yes. Spooky times. But I wanted to time this episode to something else. Yeah, because I wouldn't let you have spooky times. I was, mine. I was forced to time this episode to something else. A number of our listeners, especially people who've, who who uh, jumped on in the beginning three and a half years ago, hey, uh, will know that this is not the first web content I've made. No. No. Uh, I, I've been doing stuff for 11 years now. But one of- There's someone listening that's like 10. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. You've been making stuff longer than they've been alive. Yeah. They could be our child. Technically, but I'm pretty sure they're not. Well, they're not, but I meant age-wise. Okay. Now, one of those things is, is making Let's Play videos with one of my best friends in the whole wide world my entire life. Me? One of. Okay. One, one of the others the on dog? that short list. Uh, and, and we are finishing up Metal Gear Solid Five. our biggest longest and i don't know one of the ones i'm most proud of this entire time yeah it's taken 11 years <laughs> i can come up with another opening to this episode if you'd prefer oh okay but in the course of playing that game i'm not going to talk about it much because it's a lot and every part of it is itself a lot it's like a fractal of a thing mm-hmm. uh but one of the characters goes into his backstory and mentions some stuff that I didn't know happened. Oh. And so it inspired me to look into it and see how much uh, was, you know, real and and what other stories can come from that. So that is why, for this episode of History Honeys, we are talking about uh, uranium mining uh, and the Navajo people. I assume you're going to tell me some very bad things that happened. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, uh, the the Navajo were a a hunter-gatherer society until they migrated to uh, what is now the American Southwest uh, over 100 years before uh, Columbus's voyage. Uh, There, they they, uh, had contact and a cultural exchange with the Pueblo people and began uh, raising crops. Mm -hmm. Uh, Around 1581, they made their first contact with Spanish colonists, uh, and in that exchange, they began raising herds of, of livestock around the Colorado Plateau. Mm-hmm. The word Navajo is a Spanish coinage that was invented uh, in the neighborhood of the year 1640. Their word for themselves in, in their language is Diné. Mm-hmm. Uh, Navajo identity, uh, as we know it, has its roots in the shared trauma of the long walk. Yeah. Uh, in the late 1800s, a, a forced migration to a, a multi-year internment uh, that cut the population by 90%. Yep. Uh, following the long walk, they, they were released to a reservation that was established on a portion of their ancestral land, uh, which is what we call the Navajo Nation. That That is the reservation land. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, the the other half of of the title is uranium mining. So when did that start? Not that long ago. Relatively uh, recent compared to the grand scheme of the Navajo. 
So uh, in the 1950s, the, the short version is that the U.S. government wanted a lot of uranium. Yep. That, that sounds accurate. Uh, the, the detonations at Los Alamos uh, and, of course, the destruction of the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki ushered in the atomic age. Uh, uranium for the, the Manhattan Project uh, was sourced from uh, the Belgian Congo, as it was then known, now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm-hmm. And they got 400 tons of ore per month from a mine called uh, Shinkalobwe. So in 1953, President Eisenhower launched the Atoms for Peace strategy, a a campaign to develop nuclear energy. Yes? I'm I'm, I'm just thinking we're we're talking about blowing stuff up and peace. Well, we're also talking about uh, nuclear power plants. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sharing limited nuclear research with, with our allies and all of these other things that we're supposed to basically make people living in the new atomic age not be you know terrified of the new atomic age quite so much yeah the the promise of clean unlimited energy was was such a big part of 1950s futurism yes uh no one could just like invent the wind turbine then (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't the route we could have gone Nuclear power does uh, produce uh, less carbon emissions than hydroelectric or geothermal power. Oh. Uh, more than wind does, though. You, yeah. you, you've got them there. Okay. Yeah. But part of the, this Atoms for Peace push was the Atomic Energy Act of 1954. This legislation allowed private companies access to restricted technical data uh, and allowed patents for fissile material and governed the Atomic Energy Commission. So now there's a, a program of supporting private companies to, to make this atomic-powered future. Yeah. That also means private companies digging in the ground for uranium. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so the AEC, the Atomic Energy Commission, was legally the sole purchaser of uranium mined in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Now, deposits in American territory weren't as good as in foreign mines. So the really good uranium was in, you know, the Belgian Congo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but security concerns were more important than how hard it is to get to the rocks and how hard it is to get the uranium out of the rocks. Yeah. It's more important that there are rocks in the U.S. Luckily, you know, the continental U.S., where it's even harder, uh, even easier to control the, the pipeline, stuff like that. Yeah. You don't want the source of your fissile material to have to sail across an open ocean where, you know, someone might have submarines in the way. That's that's the yeah, bad case. You don't want yeah. that. The AEC had to obtain uranium to refine in a nuclear arms race and to distribute to the new nuclear power plant industry. So they set prices, really attractive prices, which led to the first uranium mining boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speculators found uranium deposits across the Colorado Plateau, and over 1,000 mines were opened within the boundaries of the Navajo Nation. That's a lot. It's a lot of shafts. That's a a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) It's probably not that much land. I mean, it's pretty big. The American Southwest 
is huge. Yes. There's it we're talking Monument Valley, we're talking about a whole lot of wide open space. Yes. Which is what you want if one of your main uh economic interests is large herds of livestock. Yes. Yeah. But a thousand mines in here is a lot of mines. Yeah. The Colorado Plateau, much, much larger. There's a whole lot. of it's, it's a big, big geographic feature. Yes. The Navajo Nation is, okay, imagine the region around four corners, you know, uh, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. Yeah. It, it is that area, except the Colorado part. Okay. Uh, in fact, the, the Colorado corner of Four Corners uh, belongs to the, the Ute people. The Mountain Ute Reservation is, is there. Oh, okay. So if anyone wants to visit the, the Four Corners uh, monument and take a picture, you know, straddling it, three quarters of you are in Navajo Nation. One quarter of you is uh, hovering above uh, the, the Mountain Ute Reservation. I just imagine a lot of people like Twister. Yes. Absolutely. So you can like be touching all of it at the same time? It's a popular pose. Yeah. Or you get your... Or some uh, downward dog. If you're traveling with a large group, you all just sit in a circle, either facing in or facing out. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the classics. Yeah. Kissing across it. Yeah. Yeah. Four people all at the same time? I don't judge. A lot of faces get bumped. (laughs) Someone's going to poke an eye out. With a nose. But in any case, those those shafts, uh, those mines drilled in uh, on Navajo land produced nearly 4 million tons of ore until uh, they, they closed up shop around 1989. That's a lot. Now, the health effects of uranium exposure were not fully understood. So, nope. in order to change that, the United States Public Health Service saw this as an opportunity. I mean, we've got a lot of people... Oh, no. Exposing themselves, let's do a study. Okay. So beginning in 1951, (laughs) the USPHS started their study that would eventually include about 4,000 Navajo miners. Okay. The initial focus was determining the amount of radon in the air in the mines, and then drawing a correlation to diseases, specifically lung cancer. Mm Mm-hmm. This is less than 20 years after the Tuskegee study uh, on syphilis began. Yes. For people who aren't aware or just want a, a quick recap of the Tuskegee syphilis study, uh, the Public Health Service signed up hundreds of black men who, who had syphilis, and they observed them over the course of the entire disease without ever treating them. Yeah. Uh, even though about nine, ten years into the study, penicillin's incredible effectiveness at curing syphilis was discovered... Yeah. They just didn't give them any. Yeah. That's... And all without informed consent. The test subjects were told, you've got this disease, we're going to treat you and see how these treatments work. They never received any actual treatment. Yeah, this is why when you said the United States Public Health Service decided to collect data, I went, oh no. Because a lot of times, yeah. they have a bad track record with this. Uh, that study went on for about 40 years. Yeah. So this study uh, started about halfway in the middle of, of that span of time and also had its own problem with informed consent, i.e. not giving it. Yeah. Now, they, they did find a whole lot of what they were looking for. They collected a lot of very valuable data, including the fact that radon gas would attach itself to mine dust so that uh, the radon that made its way into miners' lungs could be up to 100 times the radon that's just floating freely in the atmosphere. 
Oh boy. So they, they had an internal 1952 report showing exceptionally high concentrations of radon and that incidence of cancer was likely to spike soon. These things take time. There's an incubation period. Mm-hmm. People aren't getting cancer yet because they've only been down in the mines for a year or two. Yeah. Now, the report also argued that proper ventilation would decrease the risk. The more fresh air we're getting in, we're cutting the, the concentration of ra- uh, radon yeah. and radon-coated dust. Yeah. Uh, however, the government failed to require mine companies to ventilate their mines. In fact, the Atomic Energy Commission repressed the reports and did not enforce the existing regulations for ventilation and safety that were passed by the individual states. I'm not surprised. <laughs> They needed the uranium out there. Yep. And they needed to encourage these uh, uh, private companies to want to get their uranium out there. So they made it very easy on them to operate very cheaply. Yeah. And who cares about any of the people? So yeah, miners were not warned of possible risks by the mining companies, uh, the public health service, or really anyone else. Yeah. I mean, we, we did not have a complete account of uranium's effects at varying rates of exposure over time, but we did have all sorts of accidents that occurred during nuclear research to suggest relevant dangers. We had the, the health records of the survivors of the atomic uh, uh, detonations. Yes. Uh, there was a medical consent form as part of signing up for this study. The consent form didn't include anything about the possible dangers of working in the mine. So that is not informed consent. It's a simple term. It's a self-evident meaning. Yeah. Uh, This is a violation of the Nuremberg Code for the curious, a code of ethics written following medical abuse during the Holocaust. Ah. I mean, Nuremberg anything. If you're violating that, you you messed up. Yeah. Wasn't it... um... Uranium that, like, back at the turn of the century is what those watch girls were using? I forget which element they were working with. It might have been radium. Maybe it was radium. Yeah. Okay. That might be it. It glowed. Yeah. I mean, we also had all of those stories. Like, they were not... This was decades later. We could tell that, yeah, the the girls from the watch factories weren't doing great. Yeah. Like, we... I mean, I just saw a picture today of an early x-ray text oh, hand. Oh, I saw that. It was so gross. It's so oh gross. Oh, my God. Because they used to test it to By calibrate. By waving your hand. Let me just yeah. use my own hand. And if you keep doing that, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Especially the way x-ray machines were back then. Mm-hmm. Not, not as safe as now. The, these are different sources with different amounts of radiation and, and uh, times of exposure, methods of exposure. But the fact is, radiation in the workplace needs to be protected against whichever sort of workplace we're talking about. Yes. Now, in order to manage this study and and keep tabs on all of their uh, uh, participants, uh, the Public Health Service took over health services on the reservation from the Bureau of Indian Affairs in 1955. Okay. Now, now all of your health care, at least the health care provided by the U.S. government, is coming from the Public Health Service. Oh, great. That's not good. Uh, they added new cadres of test subjects uh, in 1953, 54, 57, and 1960. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first paper published from the study, like in, in a medical journal showing these long-term effects, uh, came out in 1962, demonstrating a correlation between uranium mining and lung cancer. They found it. Mm-hmm. They, they thought they would, and they did. 
1969, the government capped acceptable radiation uh, in mines based on that research. Seven years after that research was first published. Uh huh. And new papers continued to be published from this non consensually collected data until 1998. Oh, goodness. I'm, you collect a lot of data, you, you dive into it to, to crunch some numbers and see what you can find. It's, it's a big, big database to, to make research out of. And that's how long it took until apparently that was mined out. Uh, Navajo miners were still not informed of the dangers for years to come. Yeah. Years to come from... Years to come from that 1962 paper. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, The study's findings showed a strong correlation between radon exposure and cancer, as you might expect, with an approximately 20-year latency period. Okay. Those studies also showed correlations with pneumonia, COPD, and tuberculosis, among other things. Uh, In fact, miners were 28.6 times as likely to develop cancer than the non-minor control group. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aside from the health impact on uh, miners' lungs, there's also an environmental cost to uranium mining. Mm -hmm. And the most dramatic uh, uh, episode is the Church Rock uranium mine spill. Okay. From the name, you can guess what's going to happen. I think it's going to be good. So one of these private mining companies, the United Nuclear Corporation, maintained an unlined tailings disposal pond in Church Rock, New Mexico, right on the border of the Navajo Nation. Great! Uh, A tailings pond is a site for leftover ore uh, after the uranium had been leached out with sulfuric acid baths. Mm -hmm. That's the process. You bring up rocks of ore, pound them out, put it in acid, and, and the uranium leaches out. And that gets refined into yellow cake, mm-hmm. our, our powdered uranium. Mm-hmm. Tailings are the the leftover rock, and the tailing solution is the leftover sulfuric acid. Yep. Now, the leach process isn't 100%. There's still uranium in there, just not enough that's worth the, the expense of getting it out. Mm-hmm. So the, the heap leach process that I just described is a low-cost way to work with lower-quality ores, like the ore present in the Colorado Plateau. Uh-huh. United Nuclear Corporation was aware that their, their dumping pond was geologically unstable. Uh, federal and state inspectors were also aware of the instability. Of course they were. Uh, the pond failed to meet the company's own internal requirements, but was built anyway. Of course. Uh, cracks in the dam had begun appearing two years before this spill event, and the spill occurred six months after the dam's operational lifespan ha- had come up. Uh-huh. They, they built the dam to last X yep. years. This happened X and a half years. Yep. Yeah. So, so this crack developed in the dam holding back the tailings pond, and in the early morning of July 16, 1979, it opened into a 20-foot breach. Oh, goodness. Following an investigation, the Army Corps of Engineers concluded that the acidic solution had been allowed to seep into the embankment, causing the foundation to settle. Like I said, uh, it was an unlined tailings pond. Uh, ideally, you would have a, a plastic sheet, uh, one of the forms of plastic that doesn't interact with sulfuric acid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would hold it all in so this wouldn't seep into the groundwater or the foundation of the embankment. Yeah. Those are two things you don't want this going into. Uh, it was not lined, so there you go. Uh, if it had been built according to legal specifications, the breach would not have occurred, 
Again, according to that Army Corps of Engineers report. Yeah. Uh, According to United Nuclear's company line, their explanation was that the bedrock beneath the dam was pointy. There, there, there was like a pointed shape to the bedrock, which uh-huh. which acted as a fulcrum, so it just sort of levered the the dam to break. Which you know, what are the? It's the bedrock. We didn't do it. God Cause made that because it's pointy. It's, it's maybe you pointy like a lever. Maybe you shouldn't have built it on something you knew was pointy. Then, <laughs> so the breach was closed two and a half hours later. Hmm. Uh, in that time, 1,000 tons of radioactive mill waste ran out, along with 93 million gallons of radioactive acid solution. Great! Now, 1979 was a banner year for uh, American uh, uh, nuclear waste spills. Uh, this was three times the amount of radiation that, that was released in the Three Mile Island incident earlier that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, United Nuclear claimed that one curie of radiation had been released as a measure of radiation that's equivalent to the radioactivity present in 463 kilograms of uranium-235. Okay. Actually, 46 curies uh, were released. Oh, that's a lot more. That's 46 times as much. So always uh, times everything by 46 and you probably have the right number. (laughs) Uh, our best estimates also say that 1.23 tons of uranium were part of that flow, which right. makes sense. You know, yeah. the, the tailings had one part in a thousand of uranium left over yep. in them. Yeah. Math checks out. The, all of this ran. I mean, it's it's a big it's a bunch of, of water, rock, and mud. It, yeah. it flowed uh, into a tributary into a tributary of the Puerco River, and that river took it right through the Navajo Nation. Yep. Uh, the flow was large enough to back up sewers, uh, affect aquifers, and leave stagnating pools by the riverside. Oh, boy. So with that, we're going to take a quick break and be back with uh, the response and effects of that spill. I bet it wasn't much of a response. Uh, wait and see. Spoilers. The U.S. government's involved. It's not really a spoiler. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. So when we last left off, uh, the the arms and energy race was driving up demand for uranium. Yep. Driving up demand so high that uh, standard safety uh, protocols were not being observed. Yep. And one of the effects was this spill of a massive amount of radioactive material and, again, sulfuric acid solution. Yeah. Into people's uh, uh, drinking water. Yep. So let's talk about the response. Okay. No official steps were taken for a few days. I'm not surprised. So the Indian Health Service shared messages on the radio and posted signs about not using the Puerco River for water. Don't drink from this. Don't bathe in this. Don't don't water your herds in this. Mm-hmm. Those signs and announcements were exclusively in English. Uh-huh. Many uh, residents of the Navajo Nation speak the Navajo language and not English. Yeah, that can be a problem. United Nuclear Corporation, they they had a contingency plan that required employees to go speak with people downstream. So they did. Mm -hmm. 
I don't have much record of how thorough their speaking was, but uh, I, I think it's clear from the company's other actions, not as thorough as one might hope. Yeah. So the Navajo Nation uh, petitioned the governor of Arizona to declare a state of emergency, but he refused. Of course. So without a state of emergency declared, there's no emergency response budget that they can have access to. Yeah. Those funds, that support isn't available without stamping that bit of bureaucratic paperwork. Yeah. So uh, people, you know, walked, waded in the river, checked out these pools, had burns on their feet. So they went uh, to the hospital and were misdiagnosed with heat stroke. On your feet. Mm Mm-hmm. Do those doctors understand how heat stroke works? I'm not sure they can uh, identify diluted acid burns either. True, but I don't think you'd say heat stroke. (laughs) So the Nuclear Regulatory Commission left authority over the spill to the state of New Mexico. Uh, United Nuclear was allowed by the state to reopen their mill less than four months later. Mm -hmm. Uh, One year after the spill, they settled out of court with the Navajo Nation for $525,000. What? What is that money uh, all about? What is it meant to, to... Meant as a recompense for? Let's talk about some of the longer-term effects. I'm going to guess that that was not enough money for the effects we're going to talk about. So you've got acidic and radioactive water, right? You've got uh, water that is rating 1.2 on the pH scale. That is more acidic than your stomach juices. Oh, God. Uh, Animals are dropping dead on the spot. Survivors... Obviously, not good news for later generations yeah. of, of the herd. The Indian Health Service found higher levels of radioactivity in church rock cattle, but said they would be safe to eat so long as residents did not depend on livestock for food over long periods of time. You know, with anything dealing with radiation, it's just a matter of, of limiting exposure and how much time the exposure is over. That's perfectly sensible. Mm-hmm. However, ask any rancher how much livestock they eat as a part of their usual diet, yeah. and you'll see how likely that is. People living near uranium mills suffer 15 times the rate of stomach cancer as the national average. FYI. Mm-hmm. 1,700 people lost access to clean water. Mm-hmm. Uh, the affected population required 30,000 gallons per day. Mm-hmm. Uh, some used the water anyway because it's New Mexico. Yeah, there's there's not much there. There's not a lot of options. Yeah. Uh, the Navajo Nation spent $100,000 trying to reopen old wells in the hopes that they went down to aquifers that were unaffected or at least less affected. Mm-hmm. The United States and New Mexico governments brought in water on trucks for two years. Uh, So in 1981, locals had to return to their local water sources. Which were not okay, I assume. Radiation lasts a really long time. Yeah. The the reason we use uranium for uh, uh, nuclear fuel rods is because it's very fissile for a very long time. Yeah. So the cleanup. Over three months of work, United Nuclear Corporation recovered an estimated 1% of material spilled. Oh, God. They monitored pools left by the spill as ordered by the state of New Mexico, but only for uranium and not radon or thorium or other contaminants. Uh, the, the mill would eventually close in 1982, 
due to decreased demand for uranium. Mm-hmm. It became a uh, super fun site the year after. Oh, great. Great. So in the wake of this spill, and now uh, after 30 years of published evidence on unsafe exposure, Congress began to, to take some remunerative action. Uh-huh. Uh, Senator Orrin Hatch and Representative Wayne Owens, uh, both representing Utah, passed the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act in 1989. Mm -hmm. This set aside financial compensation for those suffering due to radiation exposure, including mine workers. Okay, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling it's probably not going to go well, but it sounds good. (laughs) it, It had provisions for mine workers as well as... You know, people just living in downwind areas from the Nevada test site. There, there were a lot of people affected by the, the, the U.S. nuclear industry yes. in, in the 50s, 60s, and beyond. Th- this was a bill 10 years in the making. The, the first try along these lines came from Ted Kennedy, uh, who introduced it to Congress three months after the Church Rock spill. Mm-hmm. It originally gave $100,000 to mine workers that could satisfy its requirements. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had to provide proof of exposure, proof of employment between the years of 1947 and 1971, which is, again, 18 years before this act was passed. Yep. They had to prove an illness on the approved list. So to be eligible for compensation, an affected uranium industry worker must have developed lung cancer, fibrosis of the lung, pulmonary fibrosis, silicosis, or pneumoconiosis following their employment. I apologize to any doctors who listen to our show for some of this pronunciation. <laughs> I'm glad it's not me for once. <laughs> uh, but all of these proofs were more difficult for people in Navajo Nation than people living without it. Because they don't necessarily have the same papers on hand to satisfy the bureau, the, satisfy these bureaucratic requirements. Yeah. This is especially rough for surviving widows who are intending to collect because they did not have marriage certificates to prove their claim. Oh. So what I thought, they made it too damn hard for anyone to take advantage of it. Exactly. Yep. Orrin Hatch is not known for his uh, uh, positive views of the welfare state. Yeah. The the act has been continually amended to reduce its barriers, and uh, roughly 35,000 claims have been approved to date. Is Uh, is there like a, I don't know, percentage of what it could be? I I did not find a a total number of claims listed, just a total number of claims approved. Okay. Okay. Uh, but again, that, that is not just people in the Navajo Nation. Yeah. That's downwind living people. That's miners across the Colorado Plateau. Yeah. Th- there were uranium mines outside the U.S. Southwest, but 92% of U.S. uranium came from the Colorado Plateau. Yeah. Yeah. So the EPA began their uh, abandoned mine land program in 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a subset of Superfund sites. Every bit of mine land is also part of the Superfund. Yeah. Uh, the highest priority site in the AML program is, of course, the Church Rock Mine. Yeah. The AML program works with uh, the Navajo Nation Environmental Protection Agency and uh, a few other local bodies to identify which structures and water sources are the most present health risks, and uh, also in their community outreach programs to talk about how to treat your water. Mm-hmm. And what to do if you see an unmarked uh, mine shaft opening. Yeah. 
The AML site is not listed on the national priority list of Superfund sites and therefore does not get first crack at uh, priority funding. So it's highest priority on this other list, uh, but we don't even care. Among the AML, there is a priority list. Uh-huh. However, the AML is not on the top priority list okay. among all of the country Superfund sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's priorities within priorities. Yeah. Now, recent criticism has alleged the cleanup is directed by political and uh, uh, cash money uh, interests. Mm-hmm. Abandoned mines discovered near populations can go months after their initial reporting to the EPA before the EPA sends someone out to assess them. Of course. The best strategy that people have found for getting priority is to first report to the EPA and then report to the newspaper. Yeah, that's the only way to get anything done in this country. (laughs) Uh, The news has to know about it and mm -hmm. they have to talk about it. Otherwise, no one's going to move their feet. Like there, There are a lot of cases of the EPA saying, well, actually, before your book came out, uh, the, this was fully documented and, and we uh, took steps with, you know, posting signs, close off the entrance, entrance putting up a, a cleanup date. And then the response is, well, yeah, you did that after you were told that my story was being put in the draft of this book that was coming out. Yeah. <laughs> so moving forward, the EPA has, has a list of 523 abandoned mines and claims it has the funds to begin assessment and cleanup at 219 of them. Mm-hmm. Of course, those mine sites are better understood as 523 clusters. They total over 2,000 individual entrances and shafts, etc., each with their own tailings waste to deal with. Uh-huh. And what about those individual sites among those 523 mines that haven't been found yet? Yeah. Uh, herds continue to graze on contaminated land, and standard livestock testing doesn't look for uranium. Oh, great. That's not what the USDA is looking for. Oh, great. Uh, people in the Navajo Nation use thousands of unregulated water sources. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the Colorado Plateau. It's it's what they got. Catch as catch can. Uh, miners in the 50s would often take waste rock out to build their homes with. Oh, dang. Uh, many of those homes have, have been demolished and, and new uh, construction has been built in their place. But... But how do you know you've got them all? Never mind the effect that that had on the people living there in the years in between. Yeah. It's the whole, like, same thing with, like, lead paint. It right. still exists in homes and people don't know. Mm-hmm. Except the lead doesn't shoot an energy at you all no, the time. you just shouldn't lick it. Right. <laughs> Don't lick the walls. Don't lick the walls. Now, the the Navajo Nation uh, banned uranium mining within its borders in 2005. Mm -hmm. However, companies still approach local tribes to reopen old mines on land not directly controlled by the Navajo Nation. Mm -hmm. And land that just simply borders on it, like Church Rock, for instance. Oh. There, There have been, in recent years, moves to reopen Church Rock. Oh, boy. Now, within the first 10 years of mining, we we talked a lot about nuclear power plants, but the U.S. military used the material taken from these mines to make over 30,000 nuclear warheads. I knew it wasn't all going to nuclear power. Absolutely not. (laughs) If all of that material went to power plants, we wouldn't have to burn coal, actually. We would be set. (gasps) Oh! 
Mr. Darling, what have you learned? I don't even know what to say. (laughs) I knew when you picked this subject that none of it was going to be good. No. And that I was going to be very upset. Mm -hmm. And I am. Though none of it surprises me. Like everything you were saying, like the next thing that came, the next thing that came with how things were handled, I was not surprised because that is how like everything is handled. Right, right. It's like I'm, I had, you know, I'm thinking of all these other different exposure things, all the like ignoring of the outcomes, collecting all this data and not actually telling anyone, all these different sites that have you know, affected communities. Mm-hmm. I automatically, of course, was thinking about that freaking oil pipeline up under yes. the Straits of Mackinac that when you were talking, like, this was six months after its, like, lifespan, and that freaking oil pipeline you're, is, like, years and years. You're always thinking of Enbridge 5, dear. I you're am. always thinking. It makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's just always the same. Mm-hmm. And it's infuriating. This story lies at the intersection of two very powerful forces in the destruction of the environment overall is environmental racism on the one hand, Mm -hmm. and second, just the nature of capitalism. Yes. In order to maximize profit, you minimize costs, and that Mm -hmm. means not lining your tailings waste. Yeah. Uh, that that means uh, not ventilating your shafts because, because drilling a vent shaft takes time, and, and that 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 drill could be getting more ore out of the ground. Yeah, and you know what? And it's it's cheaper to not do those things and have to pay the small fine mm-hmm. later on than deal with it now. Right, and that the the brunt is put on uh, the communities living in these areas that that have been dispossessed and forced into there like the, the the Navajo Nation is one of the the lucky Native American tribes to have their uh, sovereign tribal lands on a portion of their ancestral home yes however their ancestral lands are so much bigger than uh, uh, the the Navajo Nation's borders and if it weren't for the reservation system maybe they could have found safer lands to graze their their herds outside of the irradiated waste pools left by uh, uh, the Church Rock Mill spill. Yeah. Or uh, to to speak of another uh, oil pipeline that was uh, moved away from a city into Standing Rock uh, uh, Reservation. Yep. Hopefully you haven't forgotten about that one, everyone. Mm -hmm. The, The way the world is set up, like... Yep. These mining operations were made and were encouraged because it, it was national security. Yes. Energy security, weapons security. We, we want this resource. We want to get it where we have complete control over it and, and its uh, uh, pipeline, yes. so to speak. Mm-hmm. These could have been publicly owned and operated uh, mines. Yes. Nothing says that they they had to be private companies going out and making a huge amount of money on the back of these unsafe labor practices, mm-hmm. finding the, the cheapest labor they could, the cheapest land they could. Yeah. Except that that is the way we've organized our society. Yeah. And- we, we have chosen that this mode of production is the best for some reason, 
And that's probably because it's best for the people who have the most influence in making that decision. Yeah, the, the people who get to decide get to pocket the money. Yeah. So it just keeps going and mm-hmm. going. And hence why history just keeps rehappening mm-hmm. with these types of things. I mean, at the break, you were saying this is probably going to go badly because it's handled by the government. Yes. and then However, you- the, the few good guys in this story are other government uh, uh, entities. If the yes. Army Corps of Engineers had built that tailings pool, the spill probably yes. wouldn't have happened. Yes. If uh, the Nuclear Energy Commission was digging this mine... They might have ventilated it because they aren't working for a profit. They're just working for the dang uranium. Yes. I think my focus on that was more the, like, health organization. Yeah. That they're, especially in the mid-century and earlier, a shady bunch of folks, especially when dealing with non-white populations. Yes. Yes. So that, that was kind of why I <laughs> focused on that. <laughs> And also the fact that, you know, the government's letting these corporations get away with this stuff. So, you know. (laughs) Companies get handouts. People get means testing. Yeah. 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 I'm sad now. (laughs) Darling, this has been a rough week. So I think we're going to take a break and be back with your letters instead. Okay, I need to go find a dog to cuddle. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Before we let you go. We got letters. We got letters from some lovely people. People like Isaac, who sends us not only a letter, but a picture of five cats. Yeah. In the same picture. It's a good picture. Whoa. But uh, last episode, uh, the prompt I gave everyone was I wanted to hear people's favorite mineral. Mm-hmm. Isaac's is malachite, because it's like pretty. Also, it is uh, heavily referenced in the plot of Metal Gear Solid V. <laughs> so I guess Isaac's following along with that and hopefully hopefully enjoyed this episode. Also salt because we eat a rock. Yeah. It's the only rock where we generally intentionally eat it. Yes. Across many, many cultures. Yeah. So thanks, Isaac. Uh, Ramona writes in again. Uh, and is still working her way through the backlog. But Hello. Is also catching up on our new episodes. Oh, just to hear us talk to her? Yeah. That's actually pretty normal. Yeah. Uh, and Ramona's favorite mineral is salt as well. Hey. Uh, which she predicted would be a popular answer. Guess what? Um, You're right. Uh, she was originally going to go with Dragon's Breath Opal, uh, but turns out that Opal is mineroid. I don't know what a mineraloid is, but I trust you. Uh, apparently it's different, uh, and Dragon's Breath Opal isn't actually opal, it's glass, and Ramona's just finding this out. I mean, I don't mind people using the, like, 20 questions, animal, vegetable, or mineral definition. I'm not going to be strict. I'm no yeah. geologist. I'm not even a historian, but I still make this show. <laughs> Thanks, Ramona. <laughs> Joe writes in, and their favorite mineral is lazurite, which is uh, a major component of the gem lapis lazuli, which has a fantastic history behind it as it was a true blue pigment that would not fade, which made it very uh, uh, important, very expensive. In fact, in uh, Europe, it was reserved only for uh, uh, paint for religious paintings. Yes. 
the only use for this pigment was to depict the Blessed Virgin. Or other such things. Or other such things in the genre. Yes. But this fact leads to the false uh, folk etymology of Sacre Bleu. It's not really referring to a sacred blue color. It's just a, a corruption of the uh, a blasphemous interjection uh, Sacre Jew. Much like faux Elizabethan stuff, and you wonder why everyone's saying zounds all the time. Mm-hmm. It's because they want to curse by saying his wounds, but like you gotta nudge it a little so you're you're not getting in trouble with the church. Yeah, yeah. But no talk about lapis lazuli or the the lazarite that that comprises it is complete without talking about Steven Universe, the the recently concluded and soon to be sequeled. Uh, cartoon and Joe really enjoys the the character arc of Lapis Lazuli the the character as well as you know the show itself which is something a lot of people have written in about yes somehow we keep doing prompts that edge onto Steven Universe one way or another yeah thanks Joe uh Peter writes in and also talks about good old table salt uh <laughs> And they point out that there are many other minerals that are cooler and better looking. Better but, looking for sure. You know, it's their favorite because of how it makes things taste better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the correct amount, it makes you taste more of the food and not just like salty. Enhancement. Yeah, salt's good. <laughs> That's why I eat just fistfuls. Just <laughs> no hangovers for me. Thanks, Peter. We saw a lot of... Uh, Salty people today. We did. We are recording this the day of the marathon. The Chicago The Chicago Marathon. marathon. And we, we went down to uh, cheer on one of our friends. And so we ran into a lot of finishers because with friends of friends, etc. Crusty salt streaks down their face all, from their dried sweat. All the dried sweat just left crags. Left, look like topographical maps over their face. Yeah. You never really realize oh, like... Boy. How salty you as a human are? Just the crustiest brunch places. (laughs) Uh, But Patrick writes in, and his favorite element is Prometheum. Prometheum, uh, tangentially related to our episode today, was uh, first produced in the, the labs of the Manhattan Project. And so one of the scientists credited his wife, uh, Grace Mary Coriel, with naming this atomic element 61 that they, I mean, 61's a number. We knew it had to be out there, but they finally made some. And so uh, she came up with the idea to name it Prometheum in honor of Prometheus the Titan. She wasn't just a fan of the movie? Prometheus has always sort of represented uh, seizing new knowledge and, and forbidden knowledge, so it's pretty fitting for uh, a nuclear uh, element in this time. But the, the root also means forethought, and forethought is the only thing that's going to prevent us from nuclear annihilation now that we've invented these weapons that can destroy the Earth itself. Yeah. So there you go. Also, for uh, uh, our previous prompt of uh, a book you've read recently, Patrick set himself a challenge to read 50 books in 2019, and he's up to number 70. Dang! 
So uh, the, the best one in the recent batch that Patrick would recommend is Paladin of Souls, a fiction uh, book about a middle-aged woman with a history of mental illness trying to find a, a new path for herself and her life. It's a fantasy novel, so that path involves saving a, a kingdom and defeating a sorceress. So there you go. Uh, and an upcoming book they're looking forward to is Chop Suey Nation, about a small town about small town Chinese restaurants in Canada, and also families, migration, adaptability, and memory. Cool. So check those out. Thank you, Patrick. Erica writes in and shares that they don't know if their favorite mineral actually counts as a mineral, uh, but it is bismuth, which uh, they shared a picture of. And it's really cool. It basically looks like an oil slick rock. Yes. It's yes. really neat. It is the rainbow in an oil slick, but with... Uh, like very... But but it know. crystallizes in right angles, which yeah. is weird enough for it's anything. cool. Yeah. So thank you, Erica. Thank you, Erica. Alex writes in and agrees about bismuth because <laughs> of the geometric structure and all them pretty colors. For other prompt responses, the last book they read was Factfulness by the late Hans Rosling. And as for Labor Day, well, Alex's Labor Day is in May, like normal people, as they live in Germany. But pretty sure it included a visit to the zoo. Cool. Pretty sure. <laughs> uh, we also get a very interesting uh, uh, show suggestion, one that... I think has been on the informal list in the back of my head, so maybe it will move a bit forward. Thank you. And, of course, some, some really kind th uh, words about this show and Sex Archie. Thank you for allowing us to convince you to watch Riverdale, and I'm glad you've been enjoying it, Alex. Yeah. And thanks to everybody who wrote in. Yes, and, and just so you know, Sex Archie is back. As we've announced the last couple episodes, it is now really, really here. It's really, really back. You can dive in right now and be really sad as well. Because that was... first episode is their, their in and out of character tribute to the late Luke Perry and therefore the late Fred Andrews, the character he portrays on the show. It's been a sad week. It was rough to watch. It was emotional. But we've got, uh, we recorded our thoughts on that podcast that we love to make. And next time you tune in, you will hear our usual wild and woolly jokes. Yes. Uh, as they go back to their their modus operandi and who knows what these teens are going to get up to. Yeah. If we're doing plugs, I'd also like to tell people to check out in the description. You'll see a playlist link to the Metal Gear Solid 5 Let's Play. We've been having a fantastic time. I'm so proud of it. And this is the last episode of History Honeys that I'm writing the outline for that comes out while we're doing that game. We're getting so close to the end now. Yeah. As long as everything stays on schedule, I believe that will stay true. <laughs> With that, if you want to uh, write in like some of these fine people, mm -hmm. uh, you can share show suggestions, uh, comments, pet pictures, prompts. Those can all go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely, and we love to see it. I don't know if you noticed, but our next episode comes out on the 30th of October. Woo! That's deep in the spooky season. Spooky season! That means some of these pet pictures might have, like, <gasps> a vampire cape. Oh my gosh! 
wrap your parakeet in paper towel and call it a mummy. Oh my gosh! But it also <laughs> means our annual prompts. Yes. We want to hear your spooky stories. Spooky stories is what is coming next. Please share them mm-hmm. as I prepare for our Spookums episode. Yes. The thing I look forward to all year. Spookums and Valen crimes are, they, are some are of my our best babies. episodes. I love them. Yeah. You don't get to do them. I don't get... Even Valen crimes? You haven't yet, so we're going to keep <laughs> up with that. Oh, uh, no. At least I get to do half of New Year's. You think... <laughs> That's the format of the New Year's that we both do have. But yes, we would love to hear your spooky stories, especially if they happen to you. Ooh. And those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram. You can follow us at History Honeys. Or on Facebook. Or on Facebook. I kind of forget about the Facebook part. But you can. You can follow us there. (laughs) (laughs) Again, those are all at History Honeys. And while you're getting in touch with us, why not help us get in touch with other people? One way you can do that is by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or or anywhere else that gives you the option so that people can see uh, the sort of thing they're getting into when they they stumble across us there. And we also enjoy reading them because it, it tells us what's really connecting with you. Yes. You can also uh, tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way. Yes. Halloween is coming. That means there's going to be a lot of trick-or-treaters coming around. Uh-huh. This is a great time to tell their parents about our show. Probably not so much the five-year-olds. You want to know something really scary? <laughs> Uranium mines. <laughs> uh, everything you do to help spread the word helps our show. Mm-hmm. We do appreciate it very much. I guess that's it for us. Next time you you hear this show, we're going to be deep in in our annual spookums. And she's been singing Nightmare on Christmas songs. (laughs) Nightmare on Christmas? Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, (laughs) And she's been singing Nightmare Before Christmas songs for about three weeks straight now. This is my favorite time of year. So uh, we're we're very excited to take off the weighted training clothes and and really go at it. I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey.